Yeah, so all glory and honor belongs to Christ. Uh, he's the healer. He's everything that we need at this hour. Uh, I really want to thank you guys to show up on a Friday night. Uh, it's, it's uncommon, especially in this day and age, to find a congregation uh, coming here for a conference that's almost close to an hour, 30 minutes or something like that. It's uncommon. And what you guys are doing today, or what we are doing today, we are actually burning the midnight oil. Okay, this is like the evening sacrifice. When you burn the midnight oil, it's when there's a lot of darkness, and only your light is shining. Because it's rarely do you see on a Friday night having as many people as you guys are here today, just to listen to the word of God and to stay, to stay patient. One, one, uh, one pastor, another one, and... I'm not a pastor, I'm not ordained or anything like that, but I love just to share the word of God. So, uh, Caleb has talked about when we were, we, were, we were known before even the foundation of the earth, and Zach has talked about uh, regeneration. So I want to touch base about maturity in the body of Jesus Christ. So if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, just skip chapter 3 and then go to Ephesians chapter 4. What I want to do, uh, the title is Maturity in the Body of Christ. But what I want to do, I want to build a case for us to see where the body of Jesus Christ is and what God is doing right now and where Christ is actually propelling us to be. So when you read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, this is what it says. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you are called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love 
as each part does its work. So we're talking about maturity in the body of Christ. And when I was looking at this title, the first thing that actually popped out is the word, the body. And I thought about the human body. We know very well that when a little child is born, she depends a lot on the mother's milk. And as she keeps drinking the mother's milk, as time goes by, she can now start eating a little bit of solid food. You cannot give her bone meat. You have to maybe grind it a little bit. So as time goes by, she'll become more independent. The same way we, whatever we eat, if you and I, when we eat food, if you eat something that is not healthy, eventually that unhealthy stuff will come and catch up with you. And that will mean that you have to actually go and look for a doctor to see if there's a problem. Maybe it's cholesterol. Maybe it's something that is affecting you because of what you have been eating for some time. So you see, even today, when you look at the grand, grand, grand scale of things, if I may explain it better, in Kenya, for example, when there is famine in Kenya, this is what you see. The TV broadcasters, they announce that famine has struck the land. But you, as a foreigner, when you come to Kenya, and you're driving, maybe you're going to a safari in Kenya, and you look over the window, and you end up seeing big sacks of potatoes, big sacks of cassavas, big sacks of mangoes, then you start asking yourself, the news broadcasters are saying there is famine in the land. But I don't understand what it means there's famine in the land, and yet I can see all these big sacks of potatoes and mangoes and cassavas. So you go and ask the local people, what do you mean there is famine and yet I can see food? They tell you that, sir, we do not have maize flour. Why? Because maize flour is a staple food for Kenyans, for food in Kenya. When you go to Uganda, it is not about maize flour. When there is low production of banana, for example, there will be a, 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 a national crisis. Why? Because banana in Uganda is the staple food for them. So no matter how much maize you have in Uganda, they have what? Famine because we don't have a lot of bananas. No matter how much bananas you have in Kenya, if you don't have enough supply of maize, there is famine. Because in Kenya, maize flour is a staple food. In Uganda, banana is a staple food. So even when you come to our house today, you'll definitely find a maize flour. We use it to cook. If you go to a Ugandan family, you'll find some banana. They use it to cook. Let's come, come here in the US. If you go to a Mexican restaurant, the first thing that you see, you expect, is to eat Mexican food. Right? If you go to a Chinese restaurant, you expect Chinese food. If you find Chinese food in a Mexican restaurant, you'll start wondering what is going on. Am I in the right place? <laughs> right? But more importantly, more importantly, you will find 
a Mexican serving you in a Mexican restaurant. You will find a Chinese person serving you in a Chinese restaurant. So what am I trying to say? We are what we eat. The food that you eat defines who you are, the nature of your growth, and finally, your maturity. What kind of food is the church feeding on today? What kind of spiritual food is the church feeding on today? If she really, really wants to mature and attain the fullness of Christ, what kind of food is the church eating today? In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 to 12, this is what the Bible says. So if you, I, I'll be using a lot of scriptures. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 to 12. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 to 12. As Jesus went on from there, he saw an, an, a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I deserve mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous, but not sinners. In verse 12, Jesus is saying, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But Jesus is connecting the sick with sin. He's saying because there is sin, the people are sick. So he who is the great healer, the great physician, is coming and saying, it is not the healthy that need the doctor, but those who are sick. Could it be true that today, in the church of today, that the church is sick because of sin. Could it be true that the church has forsaken the spiritual foundations of what God did on the cross and because of that the church is spiritually sick? Why am I saying this? Look at this. When you look at the grand scale of the churches across the universe, not just America, this is what you find out. False prophets, false apostles, false teachers, prosperity gospel, sexual sin and sexual perversion of all kinds, pornography, abortion, witchcraft in the church. Even now the music of the world has now entered the church. The fashion of the world has now entered the church. And because of that, you find that the church is struggling to reach maturity. Because sin has entered the church. And because sin is in the church. 
There is sickness, spiritual sickness in the church. So the Lord is saying that the food that the body feeds on defines his or her maturity. What kind of food is the church feeding on today? When you read in the book of Revelation, I'll just read it. Revelation chapter 18, verse 5, it says, Then I heard another voice from heaven, saying, Come out here, my people, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to the heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. In Revelation 18, 2-5, it is talking about Babylon. And he's saying, the nations of the earth have drunk her cup of iniquity. The church has drunk the cup of iniquity, the cup of seduction. And because of that, the Lord is about to pour his wrath on the earth. But because of his love for his people, he's telling her, come out of her, my people. It is impossible for somebody to tell you, come out if you're not inside. So the church is inside and is telling them, come out of her, my people. What has the church been feeding on? The church has been feeding on the horizontal gospel. The building of the kingdoms here on earth while forsaking their eternal kingdom. The kingdoms on the earth, they are mortal, perishable, corruptible, of the decay. They are of the passing. But the kingdom of heaven is immortal, imperishable, eternal. And he's saying today to the church, for us to arrive maturity, something has to happen. We have to go back to the biblical foundations. That is what he's saying. In Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13, he says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cistern. Broken cistern that cannot hold water. Could it be true that the church today is spiritually sick because of sin? But why has that happened? Why is she spiritually sick? Why is she spiritually dead? At such a critical time in the history of humankind. It is alarming. Why is she unaware that the rapture is about to happen? And she is languishing with sin. Joel chapter 2, verse 30 to 31. Let's turn to Joel chapter 2, verse 30 to 31. We want to find out why is she spiritually sick? And what kind of food is she eating? Joel chapter 2, verse 30 to 31. 
This is what the Bible says. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And then I will merge it with Matthew chapter 24, verse 26 to 30. So turn with me to Matthew 24, verse 26 to 30. Matthew 24, 26 to 30 says, So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out, or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east, is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after, those, after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great, uh, and great glory. Why is the church sick? Why has sin entered? There is a common theme between Joel chapter 2 verse 28 to 30 and Matthew, what we just read right now, Matthew 24. First of all, you find the common theme is talking about the return of Jesus Christ. And then the second theme, he's talking about the sun, the moon, and the stars. And he's describing during those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will turn into red blood. And the stars will fall. Even though the sun, the moon, and the stars are luminous bodies, they also exemplify, they are prophetic emblems to the church. Why am I saying this? When you read in Genesis chapter 1 verse 14, this is what the Bible says, that he made the sun the moon and the stars, not just for light, but for seasons. Okay? Then you go a little bit further, we read about a very interesting character. His name is Joseph. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 9 to 10, you can just write it down or read it, just because of time. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9 to 10, this is what the Bible says. Then he had another dream. And he told it to his, his brothers. Listen, he said. I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told it, his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Joel talks about the sun, the moon, and the stars. Matthew talks about the sun, the moon, and the stars. Here Joseph is talking about the sun, the moon, and the stars. What do the sun, the moon, and the stars represent prophetically in the body of Christ? It was Jacob's understanding that the sun actually represented him. Because he said, 
Do you actually mean that I will come and bow to you? And the moon, it represented Rachel. So Jacob is actually the patriarch of his house. And one of the works, or some of the works of the patriarch, they are the leaders of the house. They are the ones who lead worship. They are the ones who designate which land, who's going to get what. They are the ones who bless their children. So in such like manner, the Lord Jesus is depending or is looking at the patriarchs of the church to bring her to maturity. But who are the patriarchs of the church? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 to 13. You can just write it down if you don't have, because I'll be going back and forth, back and forth. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 to 13. Who are the patriarchs of the church? So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built until we all reach maturity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The fivefold ministries, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, are the patriarchs of the new covenant. They are the Son. They are the ones that dispense the light. What kind of light? In Psalm 119, the Bible says, verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet. And uh, 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 sorry, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. So the sun dispenses light. The fivefold ministries they dispense the word of God. The word of God is a spiritual light you're talking about. So he is saying, during those days, before the coming of the Messiah, the sun will be darkened. He is saying that the, the, the spiritual patriarchs of the church will no longer <coughs> preach the pure and true word of God. He is saying that today the word of God has been mixed with human ideology. It has been corrupted. And because of that, there is spiritual darkness in the church. So the church has been feeding the wrong kind of food. The patriarchs of the church, they are supposed to dispense to prepare the church to be mature before the Messiah comes. He's coming for a perfect bride. But the sun has turned into darkness. What about the moon? The moon, as I've said, Jacob understood the moon as Rachel. Rachel is the mother of Joseph. She's the bride. We know scientifically that the sun receives its, uh, the moon receives its light from the sun. But because the sun has been darkened, 
The moon does not have any light. The moon here prophetically is talking about the church. And because the church does not have any light, she has turned into blood. You can just write it down. John chapter 1 verse 11 to 13. John chapter 1 verse 11 to 13. This is what you hear what the Bible says. Now we are into the moon. John chapter 1 verse 11 to 13. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of, of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. There are two kinds of birth, two kinds of children. Natural children and spiritual children. And he's saying the spiritual children are born of God. The natural children are born out of human effort, her, husband, her husband's will. What does it mean that the moon will turn into blood? Blood here, figuratively, is talking about the flesh. And specifically, materialism. He is saying that the moon, the church, because now the sun is not dispensing the true pure word of God, the church will now turn into materialism. And yet, John 1 is saying that if you are born of human descent, you cannot be called a child of God. So when the church is now seeking material things, carnality, as my brother said, they have walked outside of the calling of God. The moon will turn blood red. And we know in 1 Corinthians 15.10 it says, Flesh and blood shall not enter the kingdom of God. Meaning, if the church is seeking about flesh and blood, they'll be left behind at the time of the rapture. If you and I are just building the kingdoms here on earth, we will be left behind. Why? Because we are no longer the children of God. How about the stars? Who are the stars? He says the stars will fall. Genesis 15 verse 5. In Genesis 15 verse 5, this is what you read. He took him outside and said, Look up to the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offsprings be. This is obviously Abraham. Abraham's offsprings are likened to the stars. Abraham's posterity is identified as the stars. 
Then when you read in Daniel chapter 12 verse 3, he says, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Who are the stars? Even when Jesus was born, the wise men followed the stars. Who are the stars? In Christ Jesus, we have become Abraham's posterity. We have become Abraham's children. When he says the stars will fall, it implies that the hearts of many Christians will grow cold to the things of God. And because of that, there will be a lot of apostasy. The falling away from the faith. I was not here when 9-11 happened. But it is my understanding that when it did happen, most of the churches were packed. But today, you don't find a lot of churches packed. If they are indeed packed, the doctrine could be wrong. So he's saying, the sun will be darkened, the moon will turn red blood, and the stars will fall. That is a spiritual condition of the body of, of Christ today. And yet, we want to achieve maturity. Why is this alarming? Look at this. Between Adam and Abraham, there is a gap of 2,000 years. Between Abraham and Jesus Christ, there is a gap of 2,000 years. Between Christ and the year 2000, there is a gap of 2,000 years. A total of 6,000 years. We are living in the seventh millennium. We are living in the Sabbath millennium. What I'm saying is this, that we are living in existential time. It is a period of grace. Because in the Bible we know, God rested on the seventh day. So the church by now should have entered into a, 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 a Sabbath. She should have gone to rest. So these 20 years, Christ should have appeared and raptured the church. Because we are living in the seventh millennium. God has given the church extra time to repent and come out of the system of Babylon. It is 60 seconds to midnight. And when I look at that clock over there, the hour arm and the minute arm, they are all in black. But the second arm is in red. 60 seconds to midnight. And yet, the church is languishing in sin. 
The Lord is calling the church. Say, it is a time for the people of God to mature. To come to the fullness of Christ. But how do we arrive at maturity? Ephesians 4, 3 to 6 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you are called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. Seven things. One body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Everything is one, 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 one. Unity. And yet Jesus said in John 15, verse 5 to 6, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, if we are one, and I in you, again, if we are one, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The evidence of a mature tree, it is its fruits. The evidence of a mature church, it is her fruits. Christ is saying that he is the vine. We are the branches. We are one. So the same nutrients, the same sap, the same water that flows in Christ, that flows through the vine, should be flowing to the branches. Because you're one. What is this that is flowing in Christ that the church today has actually neglected? It is the Holy Spirit. He's saying the same nutrients, the same water that are going through the vine should be also going through the branches. It is the Holy Spirit. In this spiritual darkness, the role of the Holy Spirit has to manifest. Why? For two things. To reveal more and more about the mystery of the cross. The second one, to bring about separation and purification. That we may be with Christ together and mature to his fullness. So the fruit that we produce is the same one as Jesus is releasing or producing. Why am I saying things? This. When you read Numbers chapter 15, Numbers chapter 9, verse 15 to 16, this is what the Bible says. On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at, at night it looked like fire. When the Israelites were leaving Egypt, the Lord led them. During the day, he led them as a pillar of cloud. During the night, he led them as a pillar of fire. These are two dispensations, the day and the night, the old covenant and the new covenant. We know too well 
that the clouds bring rain, which is a symbol of blessing and prosperity. But we are living in the night. We are living in the spiritual darkness of today. So there is a need for the pillar of fire to come and lead the church. To do what? To bring purification. Separation from the world. That is the work, the work of the Holy Spirit. He's saying in these end times. He will pour out his spirit. To reveal more and more about the cross. To bring about separation and purification. That the church of Christ may mature and attain fullness of Christ. And in that promise, he spoke to Joel. Joel 2, 28, 29, he says, Afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will, will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. The Lord is defining the dispensation of today. Today's spiritual darkness. And he's saying, based on the outpouring, it will open the portholes of heaven. So now there'll be more visions, dreams, prophecy, to align with the works of God. It is a process of purification to remind people who God is. Like he said, my brother Zach said, where he brought us from, to remind us back about the cross. He is going to clean up the church. Simply, he is going to bring out the fruit of repentance. The fruit of repentance is beyond reproach. It is undeniable, unmistakable, uncontestable. Everyone can see that you are a Christian. The Holy Spirit will evangelize to the heathen. He's going to take the church and take them deep, deep, deep to the roots and the foundations. When you read in Ezekiel 47 verse 1 to 6, you can just write it down. When you read in Ezekiel, it is talking about a man that is walking Ezekiel in the temple of God. And he's, he's telling him that he measured off a thousand and the water was ankle deep. Then he measured off another thousand and the water was where? Knee deep. And then waist deep. And then it became a river. He's speaking about the church of Christ who is ready for purification. He will launch her into the deep. What do you mean into the deep? Look at this. When you, look, when you travel from Haifa through Beersheba in Israel, on your way to the Negev desert, you find there is a change of vegetation as you're approaching the desert. 
And as you draw closer and closer to the Negev Desert in Israel, you find out that only the olive tree is growing and thriving even in the desert. When you look at the Mount of Olives, it is very, very rocky. But only the olive tree is the one that is thriving there. It takes a long time for the olive tree to mature. And then when the olive tree, tree, uh, fruit has been released or, 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 or grown, it takes a very, very long time for you to, 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 to extract olive oil. So you have to crush and crush and crush and crush until a small drop of oil. This speaks about the resilience of the olive tree or the olive plant. In the desert, they grow. In the rocks, they grow. What is the capacity of the olive tree to grow in such harsh conditions? The olive tree is able or is capable to launch its roots down, 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 down into the deep to get water. That it can thrive even in the desert, even on the Mount of Olives. So the Lord is saying for the church to reach maturity, the Holy Spirit has to start manifest to bring about more and more mysteries of the cross, to bring about separation, and to launch her into the deep. Why am I saying this? The Holy Spirit can launch the church into the wilderness of repentance. If today's church, if the roots are not deep, deep into the ground, if they are not well embedded, well grounded, well launched, she can be swept away with the present spiritual darkness. If your walk and my walk are not rooted deep, deep into the word of God, any forms of teaching will come and will sweep, sweep you and I. Why are they not talking about that hell is real? Why are they not talking about that without Christ you cannot go to heaven? False teachings. Why are some churches removing the blood and the cross in their hymnals? That is the wilderness that you and I are walking in. He is saying to the church of today, because of the spiritual darkness all over the globe, the role of the Holy Spirit has to manifest in your life and I. Why? Because of the spiritual darkness. If you and I are not well rooted into the word, 
Even signs and wonders can sweep you away. Because the devil, he's masquerading as an angel of light. You can mistake the devil to be an angel of God. Because you, you and I are not rooted into the word. But when God was talking about renewing the life of the church, this is what he spoke to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37. You find out in Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel is in the valley of dry bones. It was a symbol of Israel in captivity. Israel did not have any visitations, no hope, no worship, desolation in the land. Then God spoke to Ezekiel and he told him to prophesy to the bones. And they all came together, even the flesh together, but they were not alive. Then he told him to prophesy to the four winds. The winds that he was prophesying to came and became the resuscitating force to bring revival to those dead bones. He's saying today's church, the church whose bones are dry, the church whose there is no visitation, desolation. Saying the Holy Spirit is capable to come and bring resuscitation, to bring revival, to bring his leading. You hear him say in, in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 20 to 21, My tent is destroyed. All its ropes are snapped. My children are gone from me and are no more. No one is left now to pitch my tent or to set up my shelter. The shepherds are, are, are senseless and do not inquire of the Lord. So they do not inquire of the Lord, so they do not prosper and all their flock uh, and, and all their flock is scattered at the time when the tent is destroyed the Lord is saying to the church the tent is a symbolism of the church the Lord is saying to the church the church that is walking in the wilderness of holiness and repentance that church will receive from on high and God will bring immortality in the church, imperishability in the church, incorruptibility in the church, to remove decay and materialism so that the church may now focus on eternity. Look at the picture of maturity. In Isaiah 32, 15 to 16, it says, Till the Spirit is poured on us from on high, and the desert becomes a fertile field, and the fertile fields seem like a forest. The Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness live in the fertile land. This conversation is based on the desolation. When the Spirit of God is poured in that desert, he will bring growth that his people may have a fuller knowledge of Jesus Christ. To reveal more and more of the written word. And to root her into the deep. 
So no wind of deception will sweep you. And look at the growth. From desolation to a forest. The forest is a picture of maturity. The fullness of Christ. And so in concluding, Ephesians 4, verse 14 to 16. Now that the church has reached the fullness, she has matured. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheme. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From, uh, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. When the Holy Spirit comes and roots us into the deep, we will no longer be tossed back and forth. I have never seen a tornado, but probably a lot of you guys have seen a tornado. And you know how powerful a tornado is. It can come and sweep everything. The tornado of deception, the tornado of false doctrine, can come and sweep the church. If the church is not rooted deep, deep, deep into the world. Because any tree that has roots or his, its roots are not, deep, uh, are not rooted inside, any kind of wind will just come and sweep and it's gone. So the Lord is speaking to you and I today. It's an admonition for you and I to understand the time and the season that we are in. To understand that God chose us even the before the foundations of the earth as Caleb has talked about. And because of sin, God needed to regenerate us like Zach has shared. And in that process of regeneration, we continue to look more and more and more like him to reach maturity. I will invite Caleb. Thank you. Thank you. Um, wow. Um, thank you guys for coming and sharing. You guys, thank you for listening. We're, we're, I want to end this evening um, with...